Uh, Lord, thank you for this morning, and thank you uh, for our church. Thank you for our students off on a retreat. Uh, and Lord, important for us to learn, but maybe even more important for them to learn. We thank you for the safe journey, seven hours getting to their destination, having to drive all the way down through Gilroy and then back up. Uh, but Lord, we pray and trust that what they're doing uh, will be a great benefit to their relationship with you. And then, Lord, we pray for now, uh, for those that are here, that what we do now would be a great benefit to our relationship with you. So, Father, be with us uh, in your word as we look at uh, what Mark wrote about your son through the guidance of your Holy Spirit. And may we uh, have as great an experience with that as they did then. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 7. Uh, pay no attention to the fact that my notes say Mark chapter 6. We're going to do chapter 7. Uh, here we go. Uh, Pharisees and scribes are gathered together uh, to him. And some of the scribes uh, had come from Jerusalem. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. This could be maybe one of my favorite verses of the week. You do not have to wash your hands before dinner. That's what the disciples did, right? Uh, well, verse 3, we're going to find out this is a big problem for the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and scribe asked him, Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Hmm. Anything wrong with that question? I, I, wish, I wish I could have been there. Every once in a while, people say things to Jesus, and, and you want to stop them and say, do you, do you realize what you just said? They say, why do, whose disciples? Your, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? I mean, if I was Jesus, I would say, well, because they're my disciples. <laughs> they're, they're not your disciples. They're not elders' disciples. They're my disciples. Is this, is this a trick question? <laughs> this is one of my favorite um, questions that I ask my kids when they, they'll say some goofy question at home. And, and I'll say, um, is this a trick question? I'm pretty sure you asked that three times already, and I answered it three different ways, all meaning no. <laughs> but then they ask again, and the whole thing. Uh, it, it's goofy for them to ask that question. Well, why would they ask that question? Why ask that question? Hey, they didn't wash their hands. The elders have rules for that. How come they're not following the elders? Trap them up? Is this a real trap? If disciples didn't wash their hands and they started eating, you think Jesus would have known? He kind of knows a few things. Kind of aware. Uh, you know, I, I'm not convinced that uh, Jesus was void of all of his deity. 
like things could go on around him and him not know. I think he knew the things that were going around him. I think he's in touch with God the whole time. I think he had the spirit with him all the time. I think there's no trap here at all. There's not really a trap. They're trying to figure out, is Jesus with the elders or not? And really what they're trying to do is preserve their elders. Or, in more simplistic, selfish terms, preserve themselves. Their power, their control, their standing, their title, their rights, whatever it is. Their position. We don't, we don't do that, do we? No, no. We do it all the time. He said to them, and this is not good here. He said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. That's, that's a sentence you don't want to hear from Jesus. Right? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips. That's, that's, a, that's a good sentence, right? But their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In vain do they worship me and say, no other name but the name of Jesus. Right? Were we sing something like that this morning? And then they go out and what do they, what's the name they're, they're promoting? There. Elders. Right? I, I can't believe that they would do this or that we would do this. You leave the commandment, verse 8, of God and hold to the tradition of men. He said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Twice he says it, back to back. <coughs> What's he saying about the elders? Who do they answer to? Who they should be answering to? God. Guys, I, who makes the rules? I mean, this is really the question, right? Who makes the rules? Oh, really? Because I, I thought it was Trump. No? I mean, if I turn anything on, it's like, oh, he makes the rules. Or, oh, it's a battle over who makes the rules. Really, that's where we're at right now. Whether it's the the Dems or the reps or the judicial or I mean, is anybody tired of it? Because here here's here's what I think I'm reading. Who makes the rules? God makes the rules. Period. And Jesus says to the people, you are getting all caught up in the rules or commandments of men, the tradition of men, rather than what does God stand for? What has God set up? What has God projected? What has God prioritized? How about that? You're all worried about whether they wash their hands. There's some more important things going on here, is what Jesus is getting at, right? Verse 10, for Moses said on your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely what? Die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is now given to God. Corbin, 
both Hebrew and Aramaic word, so many people would understand it. And he translated it for the Gentile, Mark does. He says, oh, you like to say that you know, you're so devoted to God that you're just going to give everything to God and you're going to neglect the two people closest to you on the planet, your father and your mother, who might need some help once in a while. Amen? Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. But God says, hey, there's some things that you should be doing. Here's some things that you should be avoiding. Here's some things you should think about. Here's some things you should not think about. How is it that you're making rules and traditions that allow you ways into those things? Stop it. Follow the Lord. And he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. You look there at the top of your outline. I think that's the verse. Right? What's that saying? What's the practical ramification for us this morning? What does that mean? There's nothing that goes into your body that can defile you. It doesn't matter your addiction or what uh, comes in your eyes or what comes in your ears. That doesn't defile you. What defiles you? The things that come out of your heart. The question is, how much do you allow those things to come in your ears and in your eyes? And, And how much do you put your hands in the wrong places? How often do you do those things and pursue those things? Those are a commentary of what's in your heart. He says, what comes out of your mouth is more important than what you put in your mouth. You know, for them back in their time, the big deal was what was clean food and proper food and what was forbidden food and unclean and would defile, you know, there's rules. Elders have rules. You know, we have the Levitical law and all this kind of stuff. And what's Jesus come on the scene and say here? Your physical condition, what you do, you know, if your hands are washed or not, no big deal. If, if you eat a little pig once in a while, you'll be okay. What I'm more concerned about is what is coming out of your mouth. Watch what he says. He, he gets very, very simple. He said to them, oh, I'm sorry, verse 17. Wait, wasn't that verse 15? Wait, wait, we were at verse 15 and now we're at verse 17. I did okay in math at school. What's missing? The Bible has mistakes. I looked it up. There's translations that don't have verse 16. What? Do they not know how to count? They, they can't count. Why would we believe them about anything else? Well, there's an argument as to some manuscripts have a little phrase in there and some manuscripts don't have a little phrase in there. If you have the New American Standard Bible, you get the phrase because they include pretty much everything they can, word for word. And what cracks me up is they left this phrase out of this story and it doesn't make sense that you would leave out for 
To him who has ears to hear, let him hear. You heard that before? Yeah, you have ears to hear and you heard it before because it's been in the passage a bunch of times already. But then it shows up here somewhere and then, oh, I don't know, there's a, maybe a couple manuscripts that don't have it. So we're going to take it out. But uh, I think it's important. I think we need to know that it's in there. He, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's not up there. It's not an in ink, but you're, it's going to come back in a minute. And I hope you're going to love it. When he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Who said that? Wait, folks. Mark? Thank you. We're at church, and this has got to be the easiest question of all time, right? He just said that what it cannot defile, the things that you put into your mouth, it cannot defile. Does your addiction define you? Does it define your value? Where does your value come from? Okay, can we translate this over? I'm, I'm a little bit... Twisted on the political thing lately. Does your president define you? Does your political party define you? Does your gender define you? What defines you, folks? God, your creator defines you. And you know what your creator is saying right here? That what you allow to grow in your heart, what you allow to come out of your mouth, comes from your heart. That's what defines you. How you act, how you carry yourself as a man or a woman, as a athlete or uh, not liking sports at all, which is totally okay. I can't believe I just said that. Uh, <laughs> but that's what defines you. He says, don't, don't you understand this? He says that, are you still not understanding? What, what's the implication there? What's the assumption Jesus is making? You should already understand this do you not see this verse 19 since it enter it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled <laughs> that's the value of the stuff that uh, tries to affect you it's expelled do we have to we don't have to describe that anymore we can move on okay uh, thus he declared all foods clean thank you mark bacon just became legal right bacon fest is coming up guys we'll give you more details later uh verse 20 and he said what comes out of a person is what defiles him for from within out of the heart of man come evil thoughts sexual immorality theft murder adultery coveting wickedness deceit sensuality envy slander pride foolishness All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Really, those things come from within? Those look all like outward behaviors. I mean, you can't do theft internally, can you? Jesus implies, yes. Theft is a decision you make before you take anything. 
You know, it's fascinating to me because uh, I think it's culturally relevant to us. Sexual immorality, adultery, and sensuality. Aren't those all the same kind of thing? Why are they listed three different times, three different ways? Because it's easy to get yourself in trouble. And it's a condition of the heart. Slander. Envy. These are all commentaries on where's your heart at? You know, all of these imply that you're not enough the way you are. You engage in those behaviors because you don't have enough. Something's missing. You need more. Whether it's stimulation or possession or title, whatever it is, status. You, you know what you're saying to Christ's work, finished work on the cross when you engage in those behaviors? Thank you, Jesus, for your death on the cross, but it was not enough. I need more. You know what I love about Jesus is he says, yeah, I know. You definitely need more. I've been trying to tell you that for a long time. You just need a different more than the more you're chasing. Because you're enough already. Folks, we live in a world where people are taking hits in, in all kinds of ways. Not some ways, all of them. Six years now, I've been a senior pastor, and I'm not used to it. It's the first time I've ever done it, and it freaks me out. Because for six years, now I get to hear the stories. I kind of want to go back to youth ministry. <laughs> Let's go on a retreat. Let's take them to Disneyland. Maybe we'll go build a house in Mexico. That's my speed. But sitting down with people and hearing the hits that they're taking. And when people take a hit, you know, you know the biggest hit that get the, the biggest hit happens right in here and right up here. And now they question, are they okay? Do they still have value? Are they broken? All that kind of stuff. Are they okay? Do they still have value? Are they broken? No. You are never, ever broken. You sin, you make mistakes. You uh, go the wrong way. It, uh, man seems thinks that a way is right and its end leads to destruction. You will head off the wrong direction. But that's part of the design and part of the creation that came after the fall. That's not broken, that's normal. It's called learning curve. But your value is not broken. Your ability to return and repent and experience Jesus is 100% intact no matter what's happened or what you've touched or what's gone in your body or what's broken. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Got to get that out. All these evils come from within and they defile a, a person, verse 23, verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know he wanted a break. Send the kids off to the retreat, right? Yet he could not be hidden. Amen. What a great commentary on Jesus. He can't be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Uh, Tyre and Sidon, he's not in the promised land anymore. He's not in uh, uh, Hebrew country anymore. 
He's, he's off in, in the Gentile. Why would, why would he go off into the Gentile area? Because nothing's unclean anymore. How cool is it that Jesus hung out with more than just his own? How about that being kind of a, a focus moving forward politically? How about we hang out with more than just our own? That'd be kind of cool. Uh, she came, fell down at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syro-Phoenician by birth. Oh my goodness, if you're a Hebrew, the last you, you don't want to see a Syrian, right? You don't want to see a Phoenician. You definitely don't want to see a combo. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. A great sentence. He said to her, and this was this is troubling. Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What just happened there? Yes, I'm in Tyre and Sidon area. Yes, I'm in Gentile country, uh, but I'm here for the children, not for the dogs. What did he just apply? She was. Did you just call me a dog? The dogs had lower status then than they do now, right? There were no stores where you could buy dog toys and chews and all this kind of thing. designer dog food and all that. It's like dogs survived by the hair off their chin. That was it. He calls her a dog. Is this a true statement or is this a test? I'm kind of curious because I don't like that my leader said that. Can I be okay when my leader says something I don't like? Are you hearing me? Double meaning? Okay. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Wow. He calls her a dog, and what's she saying? Oh, I'm a dog? Cool. Well, dogs get to eat from the table, too. She just goes with it. And watch what he says. She apparently passes the test. Verse 29. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Oh, maybe it was a test. Are you a dog? Was she a dog? I'd make the argument that she's one of the children. Where'd he go? He went to Tyre and Sidon. Who lives there? Gentiles. He ran into a Gentile. She begged him, right? I mean, is this a guy who doesn't know what's going on? Or maybe this is all planned. And this is a test. Let me teach the Hebrews by showing who my real children are. Oh, if that's what's going on, he's brilliant and I can't wait to meet him. Absolutely love that. And and watch this one, okay? Because I, I really I really need you to see this one. Because this one's fascinating. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was null and void, and the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the surface of the waters. And God said, let there be... And there was... Where did light come from? It came from the spoken word of God, right? 
Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, <clears throat> Scott House shared with you that a, a man was uh, dropped through a ceiling. Four guys lowered him in there. And Jesus said, don't worry, your sins are forgiven. Right? How did his sins get forgiven? By the spoken word of Jesus. He said, oh, you, you're, you're confused? You thought, oh, well, so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. How about you get up, take your pallet, and walk this paralyzed guy. He gets healed. He gets forgiven. Light gets created by the spoken word of God. Right? How's it? How's something happen here? How's the demon get released here? There's not even a spoken word. Where does it say demon come out? Or child be free? Or anything like, she's not even there. How cool is that? He doesn't even have to say it and may, he can make it happen. He doesn't have to be there and he can make... Does, does that have cool implications for you? You need not be in the splash zone to get what you need. That's amazing. Uh, there was something said though. Who is it said by? By her. It was a statement of faith. Heal my kid. Free my kid of the demon. But I beg you. He said, hey, the children, you know, we don't serve the dogs. We serve the children. She says, yes, but even the dogs eat from the a statement of faith. She says something. And that's enough for whatever Jesus does to release the demons. I want to know if those are related. I want to know if her statement of faith, her pursuit of Jesus, her begging somehow partners with Jesus' ability to, I don't even have to say anything and I can release the demon from your kid, but because you showed faith, we're going to work together on this one. How cool would it be if God gets all the credit, has all the power and all of the authority and he lets us play in the game too and be a part. He says, are you a child or are you a dog? I love that. And she went home. Verse 30. Found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Love that word right there. Uh, then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. Uh, and he guesses on what's going to happen next. They begged him to lay his hand on him. Um, how did he? How did they talk to Jesus compared to the Syrophoenician? How she talked to Jesus? What's the word there used? They both begged. A couple weeks ago, we made the point. And I want to stress it again. You want something from Jesus? Beg for it. Oh, really? Does it make me beg? What, like a dog? What are you willing to do to get what you want? They begged him. Verse 33. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears. Uh, did something just enter the body? A little theme going on here. And after spitting, touched his tongue. 
he, he spit. There's another passage where a blind guy gets his sight because Jesus spits in the dirt, makes mud, and then rubs that on the guy's eyes. That's gross. <laughs> Here he spits. Maybe on his hand, I'm not sure. Maybe he spits directly on the guy's tongue. But his saliva and the other guy's saliva are mixing. I kind of don't want to be that guy. I know for me that 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 does something to my stomach. I, I mean, some people can handle certain things well. That's one I can't. I can't handle that one. That would be really rough for me. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, "Ephatha," that is, "be opened." Did he say, "God, heal him"? What form of sentence is be opened? Ephatha is a form of sentence. What form of sentence? It's a command. Who gives commands? Only God. He does not ask God to heal them. He tells them to be healed. What is Jesus saying about who he is? He's saying he's God right there. Uh, They're private right now. If they were public, people would freak out. Because the Pharisees and the scribes would go, Oh, blasphemy, you can't say that you are. I can say whoever I want, I say I am. A great, great little idiosyncrasy for us to make sure we pay attention to. That's a command and it says something about who he is. It begs the question, does God have commands for you? And his ears were open. His tongue was released. And he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. Do you remember why he's running around telling people not to say anything when he heals them? Because healing people wasn't his first agenda. He's trying to get another message out. What's that message? You know, It's not what goes in your body that defiles you. It's what comes out of your body that defiles you. My message is, are you a child or a dog? Are you following God or not? That's the real important thing. I just do these sideshows to get your attention. Tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealous they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure. That's a great little phrase, huh? Hey, Scott, how you doing? I am astonished beyond measure. Right? I love uh, John Tompkins has a response. To that. Hey, John, how you doing? If I was doing any better, I'd be twins. <laughs> love that answer. I've stolen it and used it many times, but I'm going to try this one out for a little while. Hey, Scott, how you doing? I am astonished beyond measure. That'll draw some questions, won't it? Saying... He has done all things well. He has done all things well. How about, how about you have an experience with God because of your pursuit of Him that you get to the place that you could say with conviction, I am astonished beyond measure because He does all things well. Someone needs to make a song out of that, I think. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. 
How cool is that? We've been running into a Jesus who stops storms and makes demons leave and raises people from the dead. He's now making uh, deaf people hear and mute people speak again. Is there nothing he cannot do? Isn't that the question that's supposed to come out of that, right? What, what's the implied answer? Nothing. There's nothing he can't do. He's fixing things that there's no way to fix. We want that God? Do you believe he's that God? That's the big deal. Because uh, we're introduced to the story today by a couple groups of people who don't buy it at all. The Pharisees and the scribes. Right? And they have no way of understanding Jesus. But the disciples do. The Syrophoenician woman does. They who brought the mute uh, and deaf men did. They understood him. They understood who he was. They were the few. Oh, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? All right. I know I did it again. Four fill-ins instead of three. I'm going to have to start charging you extra. Uh, that's funny because we don't charge you anything, right? Okay, good. Just, I don't know. People get weird when it comes to money. Uh, we're trying to understand Jesus. And, <clears throat> you know, we've started this book. And, and uh, Mark really kind of makes the, the huge statement that, that Jesus is finally on the scene. He's kind of on the loose. And uh, Jesus shows up. Chapter 2 starts changing things and in verse, chapter 3. And then chapter 4... Uh, he, he starts explaining everything. Chapter 5, he starts proving who he is. Chapter 7 here, he, he's starting to say, you know what, you need, you need to really start understanding this. I've proved who I am. I've explained it. Now you really need to start understanding it. And understanding meaning I buy into it. I practice it. What's interesting to me is we see a Syrophoenician woman, the wrong person gets it, which kind of implies they're not the wrong person, doesn't it? Kind of implies that they're the right person. A right person gets it this way. A disciple gets it this way. A, a guy who thinks that their deaf and mute friend could get healed, they understand it this way. And I want us to kind of see the thematic uh, way that we, we pull together all of these different stories in the one chapter in, this, in that Jesus commands some things. I was really struck by his, his F-Fatha word statement that being a command rather than a request of God the Father. I think Jesus now has established himself enough in the story, in this chapter uh, in, in Israel. And, and I'm hoping with you, he's established himself enough with you that he can command some things. And, and instead of being uh, twisted up that he's, well, you're making rules for me? More of, all right, now I get to understand the rules. If you want to understand the rules then being commanded is not a problem. And it's the hardest thing. It's hardest thing to get players to buy into the idea that they should stop arguing with the referee and just start figuring out how is the referee calling it. If your focus is how the referee is calling it, you can figure out how to play the game. 
if you're just arguing with the referee, that only goes one direction. Ejection. I know very little about that. <laughs> uh, Jesus commands washed hands. Jesus commands washed hands. Verses 8, uh, eight and 9. He says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And then right after the very next sentence, he says the exact same thing in different words. He said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. The Pharisees and the scribes come in and say, hey, hey, your boys aren't washing their hands. There's a sink right in there. I mean, come on. This is this is this is very simple elder law. He says, well, it's fascinating how you guys make up all these goofy little rules. How how many commandments were there? How many commandments? The ten. The ten. Have you read Leviticus? Deuteronomy? Two, two books like chock full of rules. I thought there were only ten. It's funny, Jesus shows up on the scene later and says, yeah, well, ten, really it's more like two. Love God, love your neighbor. That wasn't enough for them. Good job, God. Love that whole on the mountain thing and Moses and that that was cool but uh, ten's not enough we we need some more rules we're going to write a whole book with more stuff in it did it say anything about not eating bacon in the ten rules where'd that come from I mean can can you imagine if you're the guy that got that one wrong that whole nation missed out on bacon for a really long time because <laughs> they needed more rules. I says, no. Real washed hands look like something else. Real washed hands aren't soap and water. It's not something you just do before a meal. It's how you carry yourself all the time. Uh, watch <clears throat> verse 13. When we make our own rules, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. <laughs> I love that. Do you love it? Scott, why are you goofy? Why are you laughing? What is, what? The guys come in and say, hey, your boys have dirty hands. He says, no, you have been handing down dirty rules. You're the one with the dirty hand, the rules that you have handed down. Jesus was very punny. <laughs> That's awesome. If you, if you can learn to read your Bible, you will have fun. <laughs> they come in and go, hey, your hands are, their hands aren't washed. It's like, no, you're the one with the dirty hands, buddy. What's he saying? Wash hands, what? Give it to us, James. It means obey God over men. Obey God over men. I mean, in some ways, like, who cares who the leader is? Doesn't he kind of say, who cares who the elders are? I can't can't believe this. I'm going to say it at church. Who cares who the elders of the church are or the pastors of the church are? Who cares? 
There's only one thing that matters, not who they are. Are they getting Jesus right? Is God right? And we're going to follow them as long as the pastors and the elders and the uh, deacons and the associate pastors and the children's workers and the, I mean, the donut people. I mean, does it matter who your donut person is? Did they wash their hands? Are we going to get all caught up in that? It's not important. What's really important is what is your own relationship with the Lord? And now you put yourself in front of a pastor, in front of an elder, in front of a spouse, in front of a teacher, in front of a volunteer, whatever it is, and put yourself in a position to learn more of the Lord, to work on your own heart and your own mind. That's what it's about. Rather than elevating the status of a man, how brilliant that he said, Jesus said that to that culture. Culture that overvalued men and devalued women and they had this whole structure and and jesus kind of (laughs) yeah cute cute structure it's wrong but it's cute it says doesn't matter who the men are it kind of begs the question and i'm not even going to go there i'm not even going to suggest the question or the statement that jesus might make today in our own political situation what would he say I've I've got ideas I will not project on you. Because it doesn't matter who your pastor is. What matters is your own heart and your own mind and what are the commandments of God in your life as you understand them according to His Word. And I have to say, Amen. Amen. Jesus commands washed hands. It means being obedient to God rather than overvaluing men or leaders or wherever it is. Secondly, Jesus commands a released tongue. He commands a released tongue. This means honor God with your speech. Verses 6 and 7. He says, you know, Isaiah did a pretty good job when when he talked about you. Hypocrites. These people honor me with their lips. If it stopped right there, how great. That's what we're supposed to do. Honor God with our lips, right? That's the fill, that's what I gave you as the filling. Honor God with your speech, right? But their heart is hard, is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. We need to make sure that we're speaking the way we are living and we're speaking the way God's doctrine defines it. There's a difference between the commandments of men and theology. And we have to know the distinction. We need to talk about the distinction. And we need to stand up for the things that are just commandments of men rather than what God's teaching. It's funny that it's a quote. Jesus shows that he's a good scholar, loves scripture. He says, well, is it that Isaiah... Right? So he knows where this comes from, right? He says, Isaiah said some things. You know what Isaiah said? It's from chapter 29. Let me read this to you. I don't, I don't think we had it. Just listen. He says, And the Lord said, verse 13 of, of chapter 29, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. And they, their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. 
Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder. Is that a promise? I will again do wonderful things with this. Wait a minute, Isaiah, you just said these people were missing it. They're they're messing it up. They got it all wrong. And then the first thing you're going to say is that God's going to come in and do wonderful things. How is that? Get them back? Yeah, they messed it up, but let's get them back. You ever messed up? You like second chances? It's the kind of God you have. That's what Isaiah says. And the wisdom of their wise men shall perish. And the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. We'll skip down to verse 16. You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? You catching that? That the thing made should say to its maker, he did not make me. I think that's an indictment on our culture. No, God didn't make us. God's not real. God's not a part of what we do. Or the thing that formed, say to him who formed it, he has no understanding. You hear Jesus in the story say, you still don't understand? He lines out who's understanding and who's not, and then he quotes something from Isaiah that has double meaning. He says, yeah, you talked about me with your lips, and yet you want to say, I don't understand. You know, Isaiah said that too. Jesus was brilliant at healing and miracles and teaching. He was also brilliant at quoting. Let me ask you this. A series of questions. The Pharisees and the scribes come in and say, hey, this stuff is unclean. And Jesus says, you know, what comes out of your mouth is more important. we got a bunch of different characters in this story. What comes out of their mouths? What did the disciples say? I know you didn't catch it. So let me read it to you. Verse 17. The disciples asked him about the parable. You want to have a released tongue? How about with your mouth, you're asking God regularly, what does he mean? God, explain this to me. Give me understanding. What a great use of the mouth by the disciples, right? Because some of us need to know, okay, release tongue and honor God with no great. How do I do that? Well, the disciples did it by asking him questions and and begging for understanding. What does the Syrophoenician woman say? She begs him. Heal someone else I care about. How about we pray for others? That would be in a better use of your speech, right? Or asking him just to do healing, right? Uh, what are those who brought the deaf speech impediment man, what do they say? They beg him. Lay hands on him. Touch him. Affect him. Absolutely. Do you know that they didn't stop there? What did they say later? Wow! He has done all things well. He even can do this. He can take a mute and make him speak, a deaf and make him hear. Wow! And it says that they proclaimed it more zealously. Are you talking about what God does with your mouth? You get those three good examples. What do the Pharisees and the scribes say? 
How come you aren't following me? They talk about themselves. You got to avoid that. That's how you do on God honoring speech. You know, Luke six forty five says, "Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks." Verse forty five, Luke six: The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the, his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, is his mouth speaks. It's interesting. You know, that passage in Luke, also quoted in Matthew, I believe it's chapter 7, talks about this um, idea that a a good tree bears good fruit. I've always kind of thought that that was like actions. Do good works with your hands, your feet. Go serve people. You know, that, that passage, the implication is that the good fruits of the good tree come out of the mouth. It's not so much what you do with your hands, how capable you are. It's just what comes out of your mouth, that's the good fruit. How, how elevated is God's understanding of the value of your speech and what words can do? Fascinating. What we say with our mouth is, is super, super powerful. Uh, and I think we learned it over the last 12 months. Because the things coming out of people's mouths across our country and across the world uh, uh, on all sides. Horrendous. Damaging. Destructive. And we need to set a different tone when you speak like Jesus spoke. Uh, Thirdly, Jesus commands opened ears. This is where we hear God and understand. And this is verse 35. Uh, and his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And that's open ears, but how many of the different characters actually heard Jesus and heard what he was talking about? The Pharisees and the scribes, they never got it. But I think it's fascinating. The Syrophoenician woman from a way off land and a wrong religion, a different culture, she heard it. And then what'd she do? She came to him. And then she started to understand. In fact, probably understood beyond the level of the disciples. How cool is that? They have to ask, hey, can you explain this parable to me? She says, no, I get your parable. And even the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from the children's table. Man, folks, you know what that means? It doesn't matter where, how far off, how confused, where, condition, past behavior, none of that. The worst you've ever been, doesn't matter. You still got a shot at understanding. Syrophoenician woman proves it and Jesus honors it and says, hey, you can go your way. The demon has already left. How cool is that? You know, this passage that Jesus quotes from when he says, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. It's Isaiah 29. And I quoted for you 13 and 14 and 16. And those are the ones that were applicable to the passage. You know what happens two verses later? Remember he said, you know, I will again come to them and perform wonders, wonders upon wonders. He's going to do that. Isaiah 2 Verses later, verse 18 of the same chapter, he says, In that day, the deaf shall hear. 
the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. Any guesses on what's going to happen next chapter? The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. And the poor among mankind shall exalt in the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah talks about this lips thing and the heart thing. And then he goes on to say, you know, there's going to be a day when God's going to come back and do tremendous wonders. And, and here's how you'll know the deaf will hear what just happened. The blind will see it's going to happen next chapter. And, and then you'll know the Holy one of Israel will be on the scene. You can't orchestrate all that stuff unless you're the same one who can give commands that even demons have to follow. Are we understanding Jesus? I tell you what, there's too many things in my life that I have little or no control over and I need him to come in and orchestrate that level of detail and complexity and make it work. And here's how I do it. I do it with washed hands or released tongue and open ears. And then, then you'll be astonished beyond measure. Astonished beyond measure doesn't come first. In fact, there's a great phrase uh, coming up in next chapter. It says, uh, why does this generation seek a sign? Because people show up and hey, show me something. He says, oh, you want the astonished beyond measure first. That's not how it works. Follow me, understand me, listen to me, be, be taught, understand. And then, you get, and then you can get to a place where verse 37, they were astonished beyond measure saying, he has done all things well. Could you say that with conviction? I asked you that earlier. And then this, he says, he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. You don't have uh, probably a deaf problem or a mute problem, but you, you have an even. Something that you could go into with washed hands, a released tongue, and, and open ears, and then beg of God, God, come get involved. Come do wonder upon wonder. There is catastrophic Super Bowl. Uh, there's, there's this, I can't handle this over here, and come in and be able to watch God work in that, maybe push you a direction that you're uncomfortable with, push you to a point where he works it out, in different ways than you expected. Probably different ways than you wanted. But how about better ways than you begged for? To where you could say to someone when they ask, Hey Scott, how are you doing? I am astonished beyond measure. And they say, really? Why is that? And then I could say, because he even, God even and then I can finish the sentence because I have actually something to talk about because I've chased him I've pursued him I've asked him hey help me understand this give me some commands let me follow him not because I want to question which ones I want to do I want to be astonished
How about being able to say with conviction, you know, he even can. He even did. How cool would that be? That's where we really start to understand Jesus. His deity and his ability. And here's, here's the reality, folks. You got stuff to deal with. Idiosyncrasies, whatever. You got, you got to work on them. You got to have God work on them. You got to beg him to work on them. Here, here's why. Because there's the possessed little girls in your life. There's the deaf and blind and mute people in your life. Often the, there's other people in life that need the testimony of you. They need your faith statement of how you interact with God and the fact that you go to church and you talk about God and the word Jesus comes out of your mouth fairly regularly to where they start to get healing. They start to get understanding. They start to get affected. It's fascinating. Every story, every story in this chapter had nothing to do with the person who started the conversation. The Pharisees talked about the disciples. The Syrophoenician woman talked about her daughter. They, that's all they call them, they came in and said, deal with my friend. We've got a culture around us. And you know what we learned today? Their value is in Christ and in their creator, not in what they've done or what has touched their skin or what their skin looks like. What a great chapter. Do you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you're a wonder upon wonders God. We thank you that you're highly active, that you're not done yet, and that you're trying to get our attention. We pr I pray, Lord, that this uh, passage, this chapter, uh, this little bit that Mark wrote has our attention. And I pray, Lord, that, that it helps us, along with our behavior moving forward, to understand you better. Our Father, we look forward to being astonished. I pray, Lord, that you work that individually in specific ways that are unique and appropriate and effective in each of, each of our lives. If you're here this morning and, uh, and you need astonishing God, you need Christ to come in and give some commands over the things that you can't control, beg him for it. Ask him now. You don't have to say it out loud. You can maintain your privacy. But in your mind, in your heart, ask him. God, I need... And you finish the sentence. God, how do I? But if that's you this morning, let me. I would like to pray for you. Pray, Lord, for those who this morning need washed hands, released tongue, and open ears to experience a healing or a deliverance, a release. We thank you for the example that you said that 
there is nothing you could not solve. And these people need solve. I pray, Lord, that you would give it to them. And then show them how to walk. If that's you, we would love to pray with you after service. Come up to stage. There'll be several of us up here. And if you're here, you never start a relationship with the Lord. Maybe it's time for that to finally happen. It is a progression. Being amazed doesn't happen first. It happens later. What God has said is it starts at the beginning with repentance and confession. The simplest of that is, God, I know I've made mistakes and I know I need you. I accept you today. Fix me. If that's you, we want to pray with you too. Will you come up to stage after? Let us pray with you. Father, we thank you for all of this. Pray that you're doing similar things with our youth at a retreat, at just even as we speak. And Father, we pray for Doris. We miss her. We love her. And we know she's going into surgery tomorrow morning. And we're going to work on her knee. And she's been waiting. Came home from her vacation early because of it. And just uh, suffering. So pray, Lord, you deliver her tomorrow. Give her some some healing and a solution to the break. And we pray, Lord, that it goes well. Pray, Lord, that it be one of our first astonished beyond measure stories. We pray all this, Lord, in your precious Son, Jesus' name. Amen.